Hello and welcome to Well, we're talking about rabbits. Rabbits are things that run around on the interwebs and that confuse and distract everybody. But sometimes, actually all the time, I mean, rabbits, they have life. And life is always interesting. You just have to slow them down and talk about them. Today, we offer you another episode in the Immersion series on why are we talking about rabbits? We take a guest and we go into the concept of immersing. What does it mean to give yourself over? Today, Lieutenant Commander Tim Berg, former Navy pilot, flyer of F-14s, a test pilot that flew crazy planes, including one that had a parachute and currently testing big planes in the sky that you're probably flying in. So today on Watar, the Immersion Series, you get to meet Lieutenant Tim Berg. So, Tim, uh, guys, this is Tim Berg. He's on our Immersion Series tonight. We are recording, what is it, early November, right, Tim? Yep, November 3rd. We're recording in order to delve into the depths of the concept of immersion or getting lost in something. Our our work in First Things does that. You kind of leave your culture and enter another. And we kind of think of it as akin to going underwater. And if you hold your breath long enough, like a Navy guy, which you are, then you can actually sort of become at peace for a minute with the underwater. And if you're good at it, you can start to actually see the ecosystem. And then you get wisdom that you didn't think you had. That's the premise of this series you're on. But first, before we introduce you to everybody, Tim, who is uh, a dear friend of mine and also related through marriage, can I offer you a toast? Yeah, thanks, John. Brother John. <laughs> brother, brother Tim, uh, to how about this? Um, to blood forged beyond the body. So we're not related, but I feel a kinship with you. So to all of you out there who have a sense of blood, even with people who you don't share an actual kinship, an actual blood relative, to those people in our lives, Gagi Marjos, Gagi Marjos. To you, the victory. Well, I don't know, Tim. I'll just say there were many years ago before you were in the family. I was like, I don't know if I really like that guy. Because <laughs> you you and I are different. And um, it had to do with your extreme calm. <laughs> And here you are all these years later, we're talking about, I think, some of that calm that got put into your work. So tell folks here who, who not who you are, but tell us about how you came up college and then your early days in the Navy and, and what you did and even a little bit about what you do now. Sure. Thanks, John. So I grew up in the Midwest in a suburb of uh, Minneapolis. Um our summers were spent with their grandparents 
um, in southern Minnesota and also in eastern South Dakota. Really, that was an immersion um, in a sense that we we spent those times with our grandparents a lot. And I have a brother and a sister. And um, that's where I am tonight, actually, is on my grandparents' farm that's right. um, in South Dakota and, and where my folks live now. And and um, so that was a special, special time for me growing up. And I remember at about eight years old, I'd be out in the field plowing um, with my grandfather. Um, he's on one tractor, I'm on the other. And I'd look up and see all the airplanes going over because this does happen to be in flyover country. And I was thinking, you know, sir, this tractor is pretty neat, but what would it be like to be in the airplane? And I really did think about that. You and, have uh, those memories? You can remember yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And those were the days where um, Air Force planes would fly low levels. I remember one time a B-52 almost flew right over my head. Um, that was pretty cool. But um, and then so after that, uh, got really immersed myself in reading all the airplane books in the library and uh, and decided I'd like to be a pilot. I, it'll give it a shot anyway. And so I focused on in my schooling, um, trying to figure out how to be a pilot. I had an uncle who was a Navy pilot. Even in um, high school, this was in your head in high school. Yeah. Yeah. And my uncle helped me, um, you know, teach me about uh different ways to go be a pilot um in the military he was a navy pilot so he steered me to the navy and uh and suggested i fill out a big stack of paperwork to go to the naval academy along with his son my cousin and uh so i didn't even know what the naval academy was or where what that was about but it was like if that was a way to fly i'll fill out the paperwork so we did all that and and then got accepted some weird reason and uh went there were you one of these guys was schooling easy for you um I, this public we went to public schools and uh in minnesota at the time were very good and so i um uh, i yeah i was uh i always did well in school yeah so. and that's partly why you got in but that's not the only reason they take folks into the naval academy right it must right. have been yeah. something else going on it's did a you get a well-roundedness you gotta um you know play sports you show that you've done that um be in different community activities you know maybe have a little work in, flying in, was the thing flying was the thing you know i'd never really flown but at the time but i i wanted to be a pilot but but that's not part of going to a service academy you'd have no idea what you're getting into ah, okay. I, I, that was a possibility to be able to be a pilot so yeah, gave it a shot, um, got accepted, and uh, um, just turned 18 and uh, checked into the Naval Academy on July uh, 6, uh, 1981, I date me, and, um, <laughs> and thought, wow, this is pretty cool. In Annapolis, Maryland, it was unbelievably hot and humid. They give you a bunch Swamp. of uh, uniforms, and yeah. uh, they give you a free haircut and free food and then they swear you in and then it's your immersion happens and, and you basically get yelled at for the next three months and never stop running. So let's talk so. before we get to the, I like the concept of the sky as the ocean of, in my analogy, like the sky is a place that I want to learn about in this talk before we get the, the school itself is, is a deep immersion. Do they try to take you off the grid? Are they trying yeah. to reorder you in some ways? Yeah, that's a big part of military um, training is basically uh, 
you could say it's a way of immersion. Um, nowadays, that would involve like taking everybody's phones. But what it involved for us is basically uh, intense 12 weeks. Uh, every day's on except for Sunday morning. And um, that was the only off time. Hmm. And uh, you you learn to do all kinds of things you had never imagined doing. Um, and some of them good and some of them just ridiculous. But that was the whole point. And you had to get good at the ridiculous uh, also. Otherwise, you got you got the, you know, more harassment. So a big part of it was was learning how to avoid being the special case. So to so learn things like did, did some people. I know you, man. I could see you being a little bit irritated with the ridiculous. Yeah. Was that hard? Uh, at first, well, yeah, if you let your feelings show through, it is hard because you're like, this is just stupid. This guy with bad breath is yelling at me because <laughs> I forgot what was the dessert for the evening meal. Um, you know, it's, that was kind of it's it, absurd. But so the thing was, you memorized, you learned to memorize a lot of things like, you know, breakfast, lunch and dinner and all the all the menu items and, um, you know, be able to converse and um different newspaper articles, be able to remember all the famous naval sayings, all the statues and things around the Naval Academy yard, all the ships, all the airplanes, and including the Soviets, you know, all those kind of things that you had to just is memorizing. And, uh, but that was a key thing, right? Is yeah. really learn how to be the discipline to be able to do that under pressure. And really none of it was the point of getting good at memorizing what's, you know, for dinner. But the point was to be able to, you know, focus and then put things in your brain and be able to recall them at a stressful time. And uh, that that was the focus of that. that Were you stressed? Yeah, you're under very high stress. You 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 would you comment to yourself in your own mind? Yeah, like I'm stressed. Um, no, but um, the, my approach to it was. Uh, I felt like this, okay, this is stressful. Every time we went to meal, um, we, from where we stayed in the dorm to where we would go eat, we went past the section where the people would uh, drop out. And you see these. No the, kidding. No they kidding. Go by the dropouts and you're like, oh man, they're just hanging out, you know, and here we are. <laughs> We're still in it. And I figured. That's on purpose. Yeah. That's on purpose. I, I figured that, um, you know, if I couldn't hack it, they would tell me. Um, and so I figured I would I'd just keep going, right, till they kick me out. Mm-hmm. So that was my approach, right? And uh, so, and that was kind of my um, my approach throughout uh, my time in the, at the Naval Academy, for sure, is uh, I can, I'll just do my best. And if that's not good enough, then that's all I could do. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, there must be a moment then when those first couple months turn into something like normality. And it's, yeah, you actually get you get good at it, and they kind of conquer that that the silly parts of it, and maybe you learn some neat things like we learned how to sail. Um, you learn some actually have some um, more intellectual uh, discourse about mm-hmm. things. Um, so there is a there is a point to the the, the deep immersion, right? And and uh, the, the the crazy all the crazy stuff you had to do like um you know working out at dawn and and all those things by the end of the summer you're in incredible shape mm-hmm. um you've learned a lot a lot of it you learned didn't even know existed 
and uh, you're pretty confident, you know, to go to the next level. Was there a moment when you said, uh, I belong or like I can breathe down here in this immersion, yeah. like I get it now? Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. Toward the end of the summer that your um, parents come out. And, oh, is that uh, right? All weekend. So my family came out and that's you were still special. standing. You were still yeah. standing. <laughs> yeah. And they see you with your buzz cut. And um, that was neat, though. You know, you're like, hey, I did this. I can do so this. When did then, right? You don't have to be a flyer because you're entering the Naval Academy. But when mm-hmm. you get in there, there must be some point where it gets delineated and you're like, I could do that. When, when did that right. happen? Yeah. So then you start learning about, well, okay, now I'm here. Now what happens? So how it works in a service academy is um, there's different career options that uh, officers can do in the military. For the Navy, the general categories were um, be a, a service warfare officer, like drive a ship, be a submariner, submarines or nuclear power, um, Marine Corps or uh, aviation, naval aviation. So um, and then the number one person in the class gets their first pick and the number last person in the class gets oh. whatever's left. So there's a little motivation. Wow. And number one here being is is it grade point? Yeah, it's grade point average, but also there was a military bearing score um, where basically different people would rank you. So it's kind of an overall performance score, mm-hmm. a numerical number um, that they used to rank uh, every every graduate. Wow. So, so class, everybody wants to know who's listening. Do you remember your number? Yeah, I actually do, because uh, you can't really forget it. Because no, how um, could you? Yeah, exactly. So we started with like 1,240 people. We graduated about 10,000 or 1,040. So we lost a, about 200 classmates, and uh, mm-hmm. I graduated at 135. 135. So top 10, top 10, top 10%. Yeah, man. Pretty good for me because I wasn't, uh, you know, I was uh, as an engineer and uh, not an all star performer. Uh, a lot of my classmates, I learned afterwards after i got there i'd been to prep school for even a year or two of college right so you know kind of starting out on the uh i didn't know what i was getting into but um it did okay but it let you it gave you access out of that world and into the flyer world what do you guys call the what would they call that that entrance so when i when i was a nickname for you guys yeah, uh, when we went to service selection night where they you, I was number 135, so I went right in after no 134. You go into this room, you see what's left on the board, and uh, you pick it. And it oh, it's like that. It's like a draft. Okay. Yeah. And different people would try to draft you, like the Marines wanted to draft me, the submariners wanted to draft me, but I always wanted to be a pilot. So, so at this point, we're getting it to flying because this – you know, something weird. Most of us do it, have done it, but not like you have. Is there, what's the specter of war in your young mind? I'm sure there's, it's school and there's life and there's cafeteria life and there's wondering about dating, but like also I wasn't going to kill anybody. Did that come up? What, what, how did people handle the the idea that, yeah, at the end of this, somehow I'm probably going to have to be in arm's way. Did that come up a lot or not really? Yeah, well, you learn, um, it does come up later. And when you learn, like in um, naval history classes, 
um, about, you know, how the Navy and Marine Corps have been used throughout history to, you know, provide national security. Um, you learn at it about from a, from an officer perspective, a different way of thinking about how military should be used or not used. So it's not like people in the military generally don't get excited about going to war. It's how, all about avoiding being in a war. And at the time, the leadership there at the Naval Academy, like the superintendent and uh, quite a few of the high-ranking officers had been um, naval aviators and Vietnamese uh, prisoners of war. Okay, so, that makes sense, yeah. Uh, very, very wise, experienced men and uh, people to definitely look up to. And, uh, and, and one of the neat things that I appreciated during my time there is they would bring those kind of people in like really famous people and give talks. And uh, here you are listening to, you know, some really renowned people, um, you know, like different senators or uh, even I remember one time Ross Perot came, um, you know, just uh, all kinds of different people. Mm -hmm, you, you, sure. get, you know, Admiral Stockdale. So war as ominous, that's not the way it was really presented it was more of a idea of a task at one point i might have to do that but it, yeah a mission and the officers in the military are leading you know doing the um doing the the basically the managers right of uh, the organization so yeah, it's a lot about leadership and uh learning to be a good leader you have to know yourself and know your your right. uh, goods and right that's the old well that's the I, you know that's that we talk about old world new world on here a lot that's that wedge piece right between what i think of is sort of um the german model starting in the 19th and 20th centuries where education was about utility like the point of getting an education was to become good at something and then in the old old world the point of education really a monastic idea was to become good not necessarily to become good at something that happened but to become good so there was a one was moral fashioning and the other one was sort of utility and the fashioning of a useful product i feel like you guys were trying to do both on some level would you agree or not really yeah yeah they're immersed in the naval academy the service academies are really immersive experiences both physically you know, cognitively, and then the the uh, like the immersion, like literally, like jumping in the pool kind of stuff. Yeah, we did yeah. some, you know, some really difficult stuff in the pool. We had to do. Um, so yeah, it was it, you were all in. You couldn't like do a mediocre job and right. and make it through. If you if there was a lot, some people really focused on like if the minimum wasn't good enough, it wouldn't be the minimum. But I was. I was never sure about that. So I just always did my best. Yeah. Yeah. So then you get into a plane at some point. When do you do you get into a plane while you're still at the Naval Academy? You must. Yeah. They give you they give you a chance um, before you go to flight school, like in your senior year to uh, do a little flying um, and just a uh, little Piper Cherokees were what we had at a nearby airport. And uh, I think that was just so you kind of had some. A little bit of an inkling of what it was going to be like, you know, and learn some of the some of the issues. And then some people, it it is an experience that they really don't like. Yeah, and they, you, you kind of find out about it once you do it. 
you know, where you can get violently airsick or you get disoriented or or you just have nothing, you don't like any of it. And so that's good to find out before you go. That didn't happen to you? No, no, I kind of liked it, actually. Um, you know, and what I liked about it is I I was I always kind of been a studier of maps, like how what do things look like and, you know, where can mm. you go and how do you get there? Um, when you're in an airplane, you've got the best like satellite view map yeah uh there is right on a clear day and you see how it really looks and uh i i've just always loved that that's interesting there's something about the telos the the ability to see further down the road or something yeah yeah so then the pilots in the front of the airplane you know have a great field of of uh view and uh can really see the earth and and everything going on down there and the water and the land and the mountains and it's just beautiful so and the people when your people are in the back and they got their sunshades down and they don't even look out it drives me nuts <laughs> is, that, is that right so let's talk about let's talk about flying so at some point guys he's gonna get into some cool planes some crazy planes um how did just take us one more step how did you get from the graduating the young man in the naval academy into these cool planes what's the what's the big professional moment is it is it flight school yeah so navy flight school is about two years long uh you go your primary training is on pensacola florida and uh that's an academic and then there's physicality physical stuff like obstacle courses and boxing and swimming and then um flying airplanes do you say and, boxing uh, yeah so the physical part they would there was a uh, you'd do boxing and wrestling and obstacle courses and running and swimming a lot of swimming and a lot of it was to see if you could hack it mm-hmm. like i would say the swimming parts they was actually hard right where like swim a mile in your flight suit um simulate jumping tough? off was that the, one of the yeah tough actually ones? i can i'm not a good swimmer but that is an endurance thing it took me about an hour you know like swimming in your overalls it's hard right um treading water for 10 minutes with all of your flake gear on which is really heavy in your boots and my neutral point is basically at the bottom of the pool and when you add all that stuff i felt like you know i would belong below the bottom of the pool so i had to work really hard at that stuff (laughs) and you knew Um, it you knew that was a weakness yeah but i was determined not to quit right um i knew if i was going to drown they'd probably pull me out. So I would just like never let myself go near the side of the pool, right? You think think like, oh, this is getting hard. I should quit. Well, you probably should quit, but if you get close to the pool, then you'll grab for it. <laughs> and if you just sink, at least you maintained the effort. They, they have yeah. to fix that. Wow, man, but most people click off by that point. They, they go to right. the edge, right? But you, that's how you, when you are when you determined that was when you had to be determined to make it through right where um it wasn't fun but for me but um but i wanted to get to the goal of, of being a navy pilot right and what and was, was the what, what was the plane that you guys were <clears throat> angling to fly like the cool plane at, the, at what is yeah. that in the mid late 80s what, what's the cool plane 
So the the movie Top Gun was coming out right as I finished flight school. Oh no, is that real? Is that true? Oh, you guys must have <laughs> these things are real, especially for young men. That must have influenced people. When it came out, I was in Beeville, Texas, in jet training, and uh, our squadron rented the movie theater in Beeville, Texas, <laughs> for for basically like a pregame uh, get together, and then uh, watch the movie <laughs> on a Saturday. Oh my goodness! That was pretty pretty epic, right? Because that was what our lives were going to be like in about right. three. Right. There's so, but that I could see where your instructors might be like, oh God, don't let them watch this. <laughs> How did it match up? You know, the new one came out and everyone, they, they had the audacity to say the greatest movie ever made. Like, no offense to movie makers. Yeah, and it I like was the greatest movie. <laughs> but, um, you know, that there's, it's a movie. Um, you know, it's kind of jazzes you up though when you see planes flying off carriers and, I did that for two and a half years in my time in the Navy. Um, it's intense, right? There's no more intense aviation experience as far as just operating aircraft as aircraft carrier aviation in the United States Navy. Cause we, we could go anywhere. We could fly anytime and we could, we were, uh, you know, a powerful force for good. Yeah. That's yeah. A commercial? I've seen the I commercial. Mean, it was, it was intense. Right. And, uh, so same thing out of flight school, you pick what you want to go do. And I think I put F-14s, they were on my list. But anyway, that's what they sent me to go do is F-14s in uh, San Diego. And is that the same plane that they were flying yeah. in that movie? Yeah. <laughs> now, I was, and um, my call sign was ICE, but it was it was before the movie. I got the call sign ICE from when I played hockey. Wait a minute. Iceberg. Your call sign was ICE because you're Berg. <laughs> iceberg yeah yeah guys listen to that that's nuts all right we got to get this is our next conversation i'm gonna i'm gonna take a break we're gonna yeah. talk to molly this is our segment tim two minutes with molly we call her our super supporter she's she's gonna come on and talk to us and we'll be uh right back after that no, I just think you need to change your look. I think that if, if something's, if, you know, the, the metrics aren't changing, I think it's you. I think it's really, you need to look at your appearance. Like my, my face. Mainly your head, like this stuff up here. So here are my, here are my ideas. For what I should put on my head. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is a so strategy. Okay. This is, these go. are strategies. Ready. Ready. Okay. First one, wig, you choose the wig. Maybe. Uh, second idea. Yeah, How do you feel about down. neck tattoos? I know that neck isn't the same as head, but like, because then you could do like some advertisements. Like right on my neck? Yeah. With what? Like an actual tattoo? Yeah, that's what a neck tattoo is. It's a tattoo on your neck. So I Like if I said like, like a Sharpie, do you want to have life. a Sharpie? Like first things foundation. Um... You know, and I go to the like grocery store, and then someone asks me, and that's right. that's yeah. the building that way. Or like FTF, like right here. A teardrop you know? FTF, like I killed someone yeah. for FTF. But you like saved a life. It like kind of turns it on its head. Like an upside down teardrop. Sure. How do you um, know about okay. prison tats? By the way, um, makes me we're not going to talk about it. But anyway, so my third idea 
is, do you go bowling, like ever? Uh, no. No, okay. Well, I was gonna say that if you like frequented a bowling alley, what you could do is you could like maybe shave your head like a little bit more often and then go ask if you could like shine your head. Because I think that that's, that could be your third option is like having like a more like shining regal like melon. Like a better bald head? Yeah, like you need to commit. So, uh, <laughs> the, your ice, the movie just came out and these planes are powerful. How fast will you go in this immersive situation how fast could you go like uh well f-14 you, you can fly supersonic <clears throat> um and it, but um that's not the point of the airplane but it is a very fast airplane it's one of the faster but well, still the fat was the fastest navy airplane yeah i could go 1.7 mach what was the point what would you say the strategic point of the plane was um, the strategic point of the F-14 was actually shoot down uh, Soviet bombers that were would come out and try to destroy the Navy ships. Uh, okay. So we had a, the airplane was actually designed in the 60s uh, around a real powerful radar and a missile that could shoot down the the Soviet uh, bombers um, before they shot our their missiles to sh- to sink our ships. You know, okay. kind of one of those. And would would you have to study the Soviet fleet and the Soviet bombers and learn what yeah. their capabilities are? Yeah, what we fl- memorized those. Um, you remember you know, what like plane you were trying to shoot down? Yeah, you'd have to be able to recognize it in a second, just visually, but also know it's uh, what it um, what it could do, what weapons it could carry, what were you know it's uh, what were its armaments, its protections, and and. Uh, and so you could recognize it, uh, you know, if you were cleared to fire on a particular type of of airplane, you had to be able to identify it real quickly. How did you incrementally get from a Cessna to an F-14? Or is there a pattern yeah. that you that you yeah. go through? You kept we incrementally. You start with propeller airplanes and, and learn all the basics of flying, uh, instrument flying, formation flying, aerobatics. Uh, be able to do takeoffs, approaches, and landings are really good and important in the Navy. And then you move on to the next plane, which was a jet, a T-2 Buckeye, and uh, do the same thing again, but then also throw in uh, carrier landings and also uh, shoot weapons. And the carrier landings, that was that was a really probably unique thing about learning to be a Navy jet pilot was um, – we would practice carrier landings a lot. Like you'd go out, you basically do carrier landings for like uh, two months of your life. Wow. It was in a whole immersion in itself. Um, you'd fly maybe twice a day, flying um, 10 to 12 landings at, at a time. And uh, each landing would get graded and you'd be mostly solo. And uh, your instructor would be on the ground grading every landing and you'd be landing in a simulated aircraft carrier box on a runway. Wow. And but but it, no, but it wasn't a simulated aircraft carrier. It was an actual aircraft. Well, carrier. yeah, you get to the aircraft carriers, but you they have the size of an aircraft carrier painted on the runway, and you'd fly. I see. I see. Flying to an aircraft carrier into that little paint box, which the paint box on the runway looked incredibly small. 
and you had what was what was the most dangerous part about trying was it the was it the approach was it trying to hit the brakes what 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 was the most dangerous or what was the part in the immersion that made you at least the most worried as a pilot yeah um so when you when you do go after the aircraft carrier all by yourself so that's one thing that's interesting because here you are in your plane by yourself um flying in formation and and you zip by the ship in formation and then you you break and turn down and put your gear down flaps down and then you see the ship and you're like oh my gosh i'm gonna do it and then you, you fly your pattern and you fly really precisely airspeed, um, altitude, and angle of attack, and then you pick up the lineup and the uh, glide path of the ship. The thing about landing on the ship is your back end of your airplane goes over the back end of the ship, like maybe by like 12 feet. And so if you get a little bit low, like say you got 12 feet low, part of your airplane is going to hit the back of the ship, Yeah, which is very bad. You know, uh, so they're, like they're, dead they're, bad. They're very the tolerance is tight, you know, and if you, if you're not going straight, if you were going too far right or left, you'd run out of, you'd run off the ship or hit another airplane. Yeah. So, and the yeah, ship is moving, intense. of course. Yeah. Ship's moving. That the runway part is the angle 10 degrees to the left. So there's nothing that's, everything's moving and the ship's moving in the water. The water's moving, the ship's pitching, rolling and Dutch rolling and up and heaving so it, you just it's really in, that is the most intense thing about being a navy pilot is landing on the aircraft carrier yeah and you remember your first solo yeah yep yeah you don't quite forget it it's no i can't imagine so and i, I would say about that about immersion ship i was thinking about a story is like when you're learning say you're learning how to do an immersion type of experience and that was immersion Basically, because that's like I said, all we did for like two months, practice yeah. that. Mm -hmm. um, you start out learning things very procedurally, okay? Like do this, this, and this, and and you build up, right? And you you're doing things because they told you to, you know. And then then over time, you actually kind of um, absorb those, right? And now you understand not just procedures, but you understand why. And uh, why I need to do those things. And and for all of us, it takes sometimes longer, sometimes years, right? Or months, months, maybe, hopefully, not years, if you're in that business, um, to absorb what that is. But the faster you get there, right, to have a greater knowledge of why those procedures exist. Um, so the, the knowledge is coming, the knowledge is coming through or after the obedience. Right. Um, you trust that you will learn the thing by obeying something like an elder or a process. Right. Yeah. So I'd say at the beginning of a that immersion type of experiences that I had, the guardrails and the procedures were very important. Right. So there was guardrails in the system to keep you in, in a safe area. Right. Yeah. Like there was somebody watching out for you. The procedures were there to you know, for you to learn. Um, but really the point of all of that was to learn how to master the task. And it, it's a, it's mastery of procedures and understanding where your boundaries are and, and how to not just get by and be safe, but be good at it. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. In the field, 
one thing we do is we place people, you know, in in super upside down cultural situations. They don't understand the language. They don't understand the food. They don't understand the disease that they're getting. And all we we, we immediately place them in a what we call their immersion ship, or it's a job, and it's a ridiculous job. It's like going to chop wood, going to pull wheat. You're going to do what those guys do, and you're not going to not do it because they're going to say, don't do that. But we say, no, show up same time every day and do it. And it's got nothing to do with a you know, poverty project. It's got nothing. It has everything to do with obeying long enough to be able to see the culture. And then once you're aware of the culture, you can master your way in it. But you have to do the little task over and over and over again. And guys don't like to do that. They want to go on a long hike and see the mountain. And they, they want to take a trip to the border. They want to, like, you know, meet their wife or meet their husband. But if they stay real tight early, am I right to say all the opportunities for mastering something occur? Too broad, right. too early, you burn out. Exactly. Yeah. So that was exactly it. I would take that analogy through all of my time flying in the Navy, um, which leads you to like learn a little bit. The next thing is the next faster, bigger airplane. And that's even more critical to have that mastery of how to immerse yourself in a new airplane. that's even harder to fly that has more capability. And then when you get to, to the F-14, it was even more so. And now that airplane is actually very hard to fly around the ship. And it was it was very expensive, and um, <laughs> yes, it is. They didn't want you just like you know <laughs> ejecting <laughs> out of them. You know, they didn't want you crashing. They don't. <laughs> See, this is why I love this guy, guys. He's like, they don't want you ejecting out of them because <laughs> the plane goes down, right? That's what happened, right? So we would we would not only fly them a lot, but we would like uh, uh, one of the things I would do is after work is go over to the simulator and just put that thing on a, a simulator, like on a three mile file uh, final to the aircraft carrier and just hit go boink, and just fly it and then see how my landing turned out. And then I was like, Oh, that wasn't very good. Boink, do it again. Oh like do God. it for an hour. Yeah. This is right. Malcolm. And then do it at night, mm -hmm. do it at night. And then you do it at night. Now, if you're not good at doing it in daytime, you're you're gonna die at night, right? Like so it's like not even an option. I mean, it's so much harder. So I would say that immersion ship that you were describing is very much like that, right? You start out simple and you have guardrails and you have procedures, but you gotta immerse yourself in those and you gotta master them. The only way you master those things is by doing them until you actually master them. Yeah. That's and right. you you gotta build the foundation. Do you did you take that then? Tell us about your service. So we won't fast forward, but kind of you get good at it, right? You're you're a top pilot flying an F-14 around in the early 90s. Is that when you're flying? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a little war there in the early 90s. Yeah. So in um, August 2nd, 1990, uh, Saddam Hussein invaded uh, Kuwait. And we were I was on the USS Independence and we were in the Indian Ocean and literally, we were getting ready to go to Diego Garcia, which is an island in the middle of the ocean, and we're going to hang out at the beach for a week. Oops. <laughs> and then Saddam Hussein screwed it. And we're going to go to Australia. 
we just had it all planned out. Our summer good, was awesome. uh, you had a good summer going, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what happened? He did that, and we spent we spent the next 111 days at sea. We went up to the North Arabian Sea and then the Persian Gulf, and we flew. We just flew continuously for weeks and months on end to to be. We were the first ship there, and we were ready to uh, to fight them. And we were flying real real weapons, live weapons. If they came out um, to mess with anybody, we were you know we were the defense. That was your you were the scramble jets for that. Yeah, and then it turned out then we we had, so that was part of what we call Desert Storm, no Desert Shield, Desert Shield, and we. So we planned um, the Iraqs, Iraqis pretty much didn't come out um, and mess with us. So they, uh, we, we were just there all fall, and uh, we got relieved on November 11th, and we came back to the work the way to the United States. So you never Christmas. actually engaged the enemy during that period, but no. came close. Yeah. So that was my part in that, and then so we watched the Gulf War, you know, on CNN when yep. we got back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I, you're, you're now a fighter jet pilot. You've yeah. got this life in the Navy, um, and you end up, because we could talk all night, but you end up becoming a test pilot. It, it, are you already, are you out of the Navy at that point? I can't, I don't remember how that yeah, went. That, you're meeting that worked, my sister around this time. Yeah, um, my commanding officer was a test pilot, and he said, hey, Tim, you should apply to this uh, test pilot school. And I didn't really know much about it, but I knew that astronauts, they were all test pilots yeah. and they were engineers. And so I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. So I applied and then um, then it, I got picked up for it. And and it was the most amazing thing and it changed my life. He said, you it will change your life. And it did in so many ways where I got to go to graduate school up in Monterey for a year and a half. And then after that, well, during that time I met your sister that's right. She became my wife. Was right. one, you, you had know, a cool that, that, guys. Right. He had one of those weddings with swords. Yeah. And everybody had swords. And I showed up like in a green outfit coming back from Africa. It's very confusing. Well, I no, no, that was a different wedding. But I did show up sort of off the boat. And then all these army guys, our Navy guys were around. And I remember thinking, can I like this guy? <laughs> not it wasn't about you it was about me because i had my ideas you know but, but i've learned to love you it's very interesting that your life in the navy was suitable to my lovely sister we didn't have any of that background did she have to could she embrace this that's an immersive experience in and of itself being a, a navy wife how'd she do with that yeah. or how do people do with that it, your dad was in the Navy, but I know he got out before you met your mom. Oh yeah, he. You're right. He he was he was he was back line guy. He was cooking yeah. stuff. Yeah, you're but, right um, about that. Yeah. Uh, no, Elizabeth didn't know anything really about the Navy. In fact, graduate school was really cool. We only wore uniforms once a month for one day. Uh, basically, we just wore civilian clothes and were like normal people. I wasn't in charge of any sailors or anything except myself. We took four class, four or five classes, and um, so had weekends off. It was pretty fun. I see. So you were sort of incognito. Yeah. You didn't have to play the heavy navy card. No, no. So we became we met on a blind date 
from uh, our, set up by an army friend um, and, from West Point. And uh, then that was kind of the beginning of our life together. And it's been wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Um, but on the good side. How did side, she deal with, let me ask this, then you can jump in. But how did they, how did she deal with test piloting? Because here's my understanding. The test pilot is testing the plane, which implies that it might not do what it's supposed to do. Am I right in the, my description of test piloting? Yeah, that's what test pilots do. For the, yeah, and then well, I think it, <laughs> it worked well because she didn't know anything about it. <laughs> she was just like, enjoy the skies. <laughs> <laughs> well, and being at a test pilot school is a pretty immersive experience. So we got married in July, like halfway through the my time in Maryland at test pilot school. And um, and then came right back. And then um, after the wedding, uh, we came back on the 4th of July. And uh, class started back up on the 5th. And here we were. You know, I'm going to school and we're we're starting our married life together. And it was it was wonderful. But it was like, here's your we had 35 classmates and and they had mo- many of them were married with their spouses. So we instantly had a, you know, three dozen. We had a new family there. Oh, that's true. That's true. That was a big part of the immersion ship. And it was like, welcome to the Navy. And, and here's how we go. And it was busy. You know, it's fun. Good memories. Yeah. Those great memories. A- any special memories about the act of flying new planes? Is yeah. there something different? Is there something integral about that that you say like, "Wow, that was a whole different experience"? That there is. Um, it's it's like uh, it, it is an immersion ship in itself. Like test pilot school is. Think of it as like one half of your day is academics, one half is flying, and another half is report writing. And you know, like you've run out of halves, right? So uh-huh. it's intense. <laughs> You're always behind. But so you learn how you have to have built up um, through your other ability to fly and do academics and report writing. You have to have some of those skills already. And so during that time, during a one year time, we flew about three dozen different airplanes um, and helicopters and, and so all kinds of different kind of airplanes in different situations. Um, some in the military and some were like civilian airplanes that we bring in, but you had to have that basic, uh, airmanship and, uh, understanding of what you were doing. Right. It feels and not very only design that, oriented. You had to really understand the design of the plane. Right. That, that was the neat thing about being a test pilot is you bring the engineering of how the airplanes work and how they, why they do what they do and how they do it, um, to your ability to fly them. And, and then in their flight testing, we would basic flight testing, we would go kind of like it's kind of like physics lab. You go figure out like how what's the cruise performance of this airplane and you would be able to go measure that or write down a bunch of data and then do the analysis and write a report on how far it would fly. And it was always interesting to see how your test, you know, matches up with reality. Well, what happened when they didn't match up? There must have been times. That's the whole point of the test pilot. Like that's yeah. not doing what it's supposed to do. That was when science was actually felt like science where, you know, like you had graph paper, remember that? And then you, <laughs> and then you draw your circles, you know, where your data points are, and then you try to fit them to this curve. And, and you could tell when you didn't do a good job because you didn't look good. No right? way. Really? Yeah, your data would look good. So then you'd be like, Ooh, yeah, that wasn't very good. So you, um, 
you learn by doing and you learn how you didn't have somebody telling you like you did a crappy job of doing that test. You could see it yourself. Right. And could you feel it in the plane the next day or whatever, whenever you were testing the math, so to speak? Could you feel it in the plane? Well, you could really you had to get good at being a test pilot is a lot different than being a pilot. Like just being a a pilot is generally operating an airplane to do a mission from one place to another, you know, in general. Um, Being a test pilot is designed to measure things or how things work. Um, And. And so you'd have to learn how to fly very precisely, like fly for an extended amount of time, not just within like five knots of your target, like fly within a half a knot and fly within like 50 feet and a tenth of a G and, and just like you know, all these very precise. You had to learn to be very precise and, and very disciplined in your procedures. And um, and you basically add on all this engineering and we'd even fly with all this measurement equipment and voice recorders and so you had to be, I, I think of it as maybe this is an immersion shift thing, which I talk to people about being a test pilot is you have to imagine like a little observer um, sitting on your shoulder and observing what you're doing. Mm. So like, you know, your brain's busy doing your thing, but you have to imagine there's an observer here and you have to be connected with that observer and that observer have to observe what you are doing to do the task. Got it. Right. And I think, like a detached, a detached observer, you know, like, I think that's important when you're immersed is also like have a connection with some kind of a detached, detached observation of what's going on. Wow. That's a big part of uh, situational awareness when you're a test pilot. The detached observer in a plane. Now you're not going to ever get into a plane that you don't think is going to fly. You know, it's going to fly on some level, but you must be pushing some aspect of the design that's the point right right and then this detached observer concept is something like being still enough and aware enough of yourself that you can properly push it without getting i don't know passionate or scared is there a god concept in this did it help you to know something like god or did it did it strengthen faith in a eternal or did it not matter was it irrelevant um to me my faith was always very important i was never really i think being test pilot when you're going through that you're also younger so you're kind of not you're not aware of your mortality quite as much but i was never really worried about that anyway the observer part was to to recognize like when when something um well a few things like when you were when you're transgressing a boundary that you shouldn't have, right? Like to do good flight tests, you have limits, you have a lot more limits. So in in addition to just the airplane, you have test limits. And so you have to be aware of those. And sometimes they're really complicated. So that's observers helpful with that. Also, you have your own limits when you just realize like, I'm not paying it. I can't keep track of everything going on anymore. I mean, you know, maybe all of a sudden you're, whatever it is, right? Your brain's not keeping up or you're all of a sudden, you you know, something doesn't feel right or your muscles, you're moving these controls around in weird ways or, or there was a weird noise and you're not sure what that was or all those kind of things. The observer helps you go, okay, slow it down. Let's take a, maybe it's good to take a pause here. Right. What is it? a The observer, like, 
when someone says, I think to myself, philosophically, especially in European tradition, in the New World tradition, it's not really possible. That second person within you is something like a recalling of God or consciousness. or It's some second thing. I keep hearing it in your description of the observer. How, how do you, can you bolster the observer? Is it something that you're trained to gain yeah. the silence or the stillness? Um, I think you, one of the things I've learned to be a, a good engineering test pilot is help the observer um, be able to describe uh, what's going on from a detached perspective and like what compensation I am doing to do a task, right? Like when we're tuning how airplanes fly, um, stability and control or flight control testing, um, you would say, you know, look at all those different control inputs and with those sh the way they're timed and shaped and sized and, and the performance of the airplane, there's something good or there's something bad or um, are we doing well enough? Are we, mm -hmm. is our performance good enough? Um, well, like, cause it, when you're in the doing of the task, I mean, I'm really trying to do the task, but this observers like observing like all the things that I'm doing, right. And trying to make sense of it. Um, and then being able to kind of reconnect with that observer after the flight or after the test event and describe what they saw. Wow. The observer described what he saw, right? What he saw me doing. But it's it's you on that level that's right. doing that. Yeah. Again, that feels incredibly like a like an ascetic. It 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 makes sense that it would be ascetic in the sense that it's a stripped down, deep, profound patience or an, an, an attention and an intention that, that that is not let go of. Like, look, I'm not that ascetic. I can be easily distracted, but there are moments when my intuition about something is so focused. I don't know that you could get me out of it, especially writing, especially writing and preparing a speech or something. Like I get lost in that. I don't know if I would know how to train it maybe that's a type of prayer it feels like it's all the things that went into your naval training that led you to be a test pilot on some level right mm -hmm. you were acquiring yeah, well, disability the detached like a detached viewpoint of where where you are what you're doing how to respond to things is is useful for all of us and anyway my analogy of that that little man on my shoulder is one way to think about it that's obviously cool. it's it's all it's all going on in your brain, but we can you can really get sucked into the like the here and now, the present, and without really observing where you are in the big picture. Yeah. What was your most? I know you flew a plane that had a, a parachute, and I know that no matter what you told me in your calm, nice Midwestern voice, there's no way that. The first time you had to open the parachute on that thing, that that wasn't scary. There's got to be something going. Like, that seems not normal. Tell us about that plane. <laughs> um, well, it, yeah, so if I never deployed a parachute while I was flying the plane. So um, there was frequently times where I've flown planes where I, I was in an ejection seat or I was wearing a parachute, right? But it never jumped out of a perfectly good airplane. I think that's well, a bad idea. But, but was the there a plane that had a pair? Like it yeah. was a, it had a, you could parachute the plane. Wasn't that yeah. your plane? 
Yeah, uh, Cirrus, Cirrus uh, aircraft. Now their uh, airplanes have parachutes. So yeah, I worked, I flew those for a few years and um, that was you, part of it. I see you like, I feel like a cartoon, like you're pulling a lever and you're like, pull. And then how does the plane go from going that way really fast to a parachute? I don't understand. <laughs> Please tell us. Somebody else does not understand too. Yeah, well, the founders, uh, one of the founders of that company actually got in a mid-air collision um, in oh, Wisconsin. No. And uh, he survived, it, obviously, but the uh, the other plane, the people in that did not survive it. So it was he started this company. His his thing that he wanted to do is make it safe. So it, like more approachable for the, you know, the average person who wanted to be a pilot and more in personal transportation mode. And um so his idea was you should be able to survive things that that happen. So developed a uh, airplane parachute, a whole airplane parachute. So if something bad happened to the airplane or the pilot, the procedure could be um, slow down, shut your engine off, and pull the parachute. And wow. the parachute just let your airplane, you know, fall to the ground at a safe uh, sink rate, and you'd survive. And and of all the airplanes that they've made so far, it, they've saved uh, it's it's over 140 lives, I think. You're kidding? No, so pretty amazing. Is the key to the engineering there to slow down enough to open the parachute? Yeah, and that that would be fit into my observer story. The people that have not survived the opening the parachute, where they got themselves into situations where they were flying too fast or too low. And then they then they realized too late that they needed they were in an unrecoverable situation and then they pull the parachute and then it doesn't have a chance to work mm-hmm. right you pull it if you're going too fast and it's just blown to shreds you deploy it you're too low it doesn't come open and you you hit the ground too hard were you so, in the plane the first time it deployed the were you that tester of that parachute that day no i never first i never was in the airplane when they deployed the parachute i see I see. But someone was. Someone was yeah. the first one to do that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just do one more fun thing for us, because it's fun for us. For you, it's probably like party tricks or something. What was the most, and I'm sure my sister would love to hear this, what is the most dangerous time in all of these planes? I mean, now you 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 develop planes for a major company, and you're their design and test pilot for all kinds of stuff. Is Has there been a moment where you're like, yikes, that was a little iffy. And you um, don't have to say the company or whatever, but. No. Yeah. Uh, I bring it back maybe to an experience um, back in my Navy flight train, uh, flight test pilot days where um, I did uh, testing on the F-14 after I graduated from test pilot school. But then I went back to test pilot school as an instructor and, and I learned a lot of, a lot of things there as an instructor. First of all, as an instructor, I actually learned all those things I was supposed to learn when I was a student because now I have to teach them. Mm-hmm. And so that's a, that was some, a big lesson for me for sure. is really that's that level of getting, you know, like I was talking about the guardrails and, you know, the immersion. Yeah, yeah we were immersed as students in, in uh, learning how to be a test pilot, but you really learned to do it when you were instructing, mm. right? And then you got to fly with a lot of students and you got to see all the mistakes that all the, you know, people learning could make. And 
and then you learn to fly airplanes that didn't really feel that comfortable in, right? Um, like uh, tail draggers, I get checked out. I flew tail draggers as an instructor, and they were just a little higher workload and hard for me to keep on the runway. Um, so and high winds, and but I basically learned how to master that, and then it became a very fun airplane. Spin testing. I would never like spins. In fact, when I in flight school, when we do spins, I'd usually get airsick because you're spinning around. And, you know, it's just very disorienting and didn't wow. feel good. Was that in the um in the test? What do you call it in the uh, test cockpit, or was that in a plane you would spin? In an air in an airplane. In a, yeah. It's up in so the air. Yeah. So then I became uh, well, they wanted me to instruct in that. So then I learned how to be a flight test. I would instruct people on how to do out of control flight testing. And so we would go up and stall the airplane and spin it every different way you could. And including upside down and including, um, you know, like inertial couple departures where it kind of somersaults across the sky and, and, you know, the first few times you do that is just so absolutely disorienting. Um, you just really don't know which way is up or down or what's going on. But then after a while, then you get to be an instructor and then you you do it so often that it actually starts to be um, fun in, in a different did way. It though. Right. Did it though. <laughs> yeah. You're flipping the plane around in the air and spinning yeah. it. But well, kind of, I think I think it's like the uh, your analogy about the field workers, you know, and going to different places. You've seen there's there's like a, there's a thing, right? There's a there's a level of immersion and mastery of different things, and it that stays pretty consistent. We talk about it, so we we call it. It's the it's usually the last four months to five months of a two and a half year, two year, two and a half year stay where we kind of call it being in the jam. Like you now get everything. You get why the women sell the meat the way they do, why it has the look it has. You understand when not to eat it. You know, I'm talking about West Africa, but it's the same in Guatemala. You start to understand everything and the things you couldn't see before you see and the little language tricks. And there's almost nothing that scares you. And then the new guy comes and they're just scared of everything. But they're not scaredy people. They just haven't seen yet, right? I guess that's what you're talking about. You flip it enough times and spin it, eventually it starts to all make sense. Yeah. But but you're in the air. It's You're really actually in a different environment. I mean, we're in a different environment culturally, but there's still like human physics the air seems different but i guess you can yeah it's different because it well it's very immersive right because you're you're not only in the airplane you're in all this flake here and it's a very stressful accelerations and disorient visually and very spatially disorienting um but once you once you're able to stay oriented with all of that going on it's really it that's when the fun starts yeah right and that's when my little guy on my shoulder is watching the student get really messed up and confused and then having to think about, wait a minute, he's not going to recover the airplane, right? Wow. Like we keep spinning and we're now we're spinning and now we're getting too low. What can I talk him out of it? So you try talking like, Hey, look at this, do this, push this rudder, push the stick over here, you know, like helping nudge him. And sure. then you realize, 
like they're not doing it. They're not getting it or they did it wrong, you know? So now you have to realize, okay, we're going to survive today. So I'm going to take over the airplane and recover the airplane. Wow. Right. So you have to. <laughs> and you've seen it. You've done that. Well, yeah. So I'd say, and that, those are, it, it all happens in seconds, right? And when you're flying like 300 miles an hour toward the ground, you know, you don't, you go through a lot of feet pretty quick. And you go through a quick decision-making. Yeah. Well, you go through decision-making very quickly. Right. Right. And, so I and think, on behalf of someone else. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I think like field worker immersion, I think about like those times where people have gotten like threatened by um, disease or circumstances or whatever. You kind of got to, you got to realize like, Hey, what, what to do. Right. And something's not right. How to handle it. It's so it's very similar. I think there's a spiritual dimension to it all. That's also very similar. I always say on the show, there's a spiritual physics. It, there are rules to the unseen. You know, there's a rule. There are rules to how to properly love. Nobody wants to hear that. And I'm not talking about gay marriage. There's all kinds of loves. But what I'm trying to say is, is there are physics even to the spiritual things. You don't get to choose even in that realm. You have to obey on some level, which is a fascinating idea because it allows for the things like priests and elders and you know, gurus and people who have insight. You start to realize they have insight on the rules. And then you go, whoa. Like, I would want to be in your plane because you have insights on the rules. And it feels like it applies to the spiritual world. And it, that people don't think that is, is uh, I think it's a sign of it's sadness. It's, it's like a modern ignorance that you can't see that the same concepts apply. That's weird. That's an atheistic society at that point, I think. But, you know, now I'm riffing, Tim. You can well, stop me. Deep thoughts. Deep now you got them. But you, you got me to to think about it. So, so in the end, here you are now, you get, we're getting older. What would you encourage in terms of immersion for say young people like your son and my godson, or really anybody who's trying to figure out life at 14 and 15, what are the rules that you could apply? And then, then we'll check out. Cause this was excellent. Yeah. I enjoyed myself. Um, I was thinking about that. Um, uh, you know, like the when you think about what the immersion experiences may be in one's life or my life, your life, they're like things that you decided to do. Like for you, going to Africa, for me, joining the Navy, you kind of like it was a thing you did, but you didn't know where it was going, how it was going to turn out, what you would learn. But you're all in. You're all in until they kick you out or you can't make, you know, until they take you out in the stretcher or put you in the ground. You're all in, right? That is so true. And and you know you're going to learn from that as long as you're making you're doing things that have like I'm not talking about negative behaviors, right? Like um, get all in in a on a bad um, group of people or bad behavior. No, I'm talking about experiences. Yeah. Um, or things you're doing to um, help others or learn. Same thing. Like if you're going to school, like. Um, to learn something, well, you should try to, should probably go all in, right? Like who yeah. wants to be 
like devote a lot of time and money and resources to be mediocre. That's right. Like is it's just not worth it, right? And and same in um then in life, we've been fortunate, right, to meet our our wives, mm-hmm. right, and and start families. And I think you got to go all in. And, oh. and same in your faith life. You're right. So here's what I uh, where I want to say to you is it's actually the nature of marriage is that's the point it's not about love it's about all in and then when somebody is all in with you wow it's like synergy right it's just like in a navy i'm sure in a battle situation when you know someone's all in with you it increases your power to do all the things you couldn't do and that's that's it yeah and that's why marriage you know in the new world the marriage is not it's not as understandable. I'm not saying people are bad or good. They cannot understand that I would go all in with someone I don't know yet <laughs> or well enough. It's like, I'm not really going to fly that test plane because I'm not, I don't get it well enough. I'm not going up there yet. Well, no, you, you have to go up in order for you to actually understand. You have to get married in order for you to love. And you're like, no, I want to love before. And like, it won't, work that way yeah i like that yeah and i i you know being a teacher to young people in fact i'll do a pitch and then i'm teaching um a course called the history of love as a um as an offering to our supporters and uh people who support in a recurring way they can join online or we're doing it in the restaurant now tim and this the 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 class, it's really a wine club for folks in town in Greenville, South Carolina. They come and have wine. We try new Georgian wines. And I start a conversation, a class on the history of love. What is love? And then we look at the Vedic tradition in India. We look at the Muslim tradition, Orthodox Christianity. And we talk about all these ideas. And one of the I taught this previously uh, at a high school and at a college. And the course, you quickly understand, this is where I'm going at, you quickly understand in two seconds that before the hyper-individualism of the modern age, everyone knew what you were saying to be true. Now, that doesn't make them wiser or better, but they knew that you're not going to be able to love somebody until you marry them. So you can't front load the love. It won't work. The marriage is the act of beginning to love. And you see that, and that's what I, why there's such thing as an arranged marriage. You see that. Now, we don't like that today. I get it. But what I'm trying to say in this whole thing is, is in teaching this course and in offering it, what you start to see is there's a whole other way of thinking that demands a type of immersion. And the immersion is to get out of yourself and to see something different and to see a different way of understanding. And a lot of people don't want to do that. Even in an intellectual setting, they kind of want what they already know to show up on their computer, you know, to show up on their Insta feed or whatever. So we're trying to break them out of it. That feels like what a test pilot's doing. You got to get out of your, you, yeah. So anyway, I'm going on and on. You know, I do this. I'm that side of the family. You and Elizabeth are like, and now we will calmly approach this most impossible thing and we will conquer it. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> but so it is hey tim thanks for coming on man it wasn't so bad was it 
Thanks, John. Well, I hope you ended up with some good, good info here. It was fun. Oh, oh yeah, no, we did. Your uh, your experiences are helpful to people, and they're perfect for this this show. It's perfect for this segment, um, the Emergent Ship series on on Watar. So, thanks, man. Yeah. I'll see you soon. I hope. Yeah. Thanks, John. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to see you soon. Okay, guys, that was Tim Berg. Uh, what What's the title? What's your title? Like, uh, well, you're a Navy pilot, sergeant. What is it? Corporal, commander. Mm-hmm. What is it? Um, in well, in previously the Navy? in the Navy. When, oh, yeah, I was a, a lieutenant or a lieutenant commander. You know, as rank, but I was a test pilot as a kind of profession or test pilot instructor. You got that? Okay. Good. Right. Um. Yeah, and then now I'm I'm still get lucky enough to still fly airplanes, and uh, I I enjoy that. Yeah, we but, we're glad you're the one testing these these planes that we're all flying in. Thank you, thank you, Tim yeah. Berg. All <laughs> right, we'll see you later, and uh, I'll check you soon. And I'm sure I'll see you out west. I'm gonna try to come out and do some KPs out there. So, yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. Okay, Tim Berg, everybody, take care. Well, that was fun. Yes, that was nepotism. I'm not inviting all the people I'm related to onto the show, but I did invite Tim. Tim, thank you. That's Tim Berg, Lieutenant Commander Tim Berg. This is Watar. This is First Things Foundation, and I have an offering. Become a recurring donor, and you should. This day, you'll get a link very soon to a course. The course is called The History of Love. You just heard me talking about it. The History of Love. It's a philosophy, philosophical look at how people have known all these forms of love. Hindus, Muslims, Christians. We're going to take a look and we're going to do it online. It's a really cool little class, a little program I use. And this year we're going to simulcast it. We're going to simulcast it from KP Restaurant in Greenville. So if you're in town or if you're nearby... Become a recurring donor and show up every week, taste the new Georgian wine while we go through the history of love. Have a great day, guys. Peace out. Much love. Keep writing and supporting. Say hi to all of our field workers and make sure you check out their videos. Their videos are monthly vlogs dedicated to their impresario projects. They're pretty cool. They're way beyond pretty cool. What they are is is insight into our work that allows you to relate in real ways to our field workers who are relating in real ways to local folks we call impresarios. Check us out, www.first-things.org.